Okay, so you've got your 401k, it's maxed out, got your index funds, you're getting a decent market return, and you have some additional capital you want to put to use. So what's next for the investor that's seeking more returns? Well, probably thinking about real estate and insurance as some next plays. And so today we're going to take a dive into establishing a thesis for adding real estate to a portfolio. Um, as always, this is not to be taken as investment advice. Uh, we're just a few anonymous internet voices and we probably can't be trusted. But you should seek the advice of a competent financial professional before making any investment decisions. That said, let's get into it. So first and foremost, I want to begin with the thesis because the thesis is like a business plan for your portfolio. It's a vision for the future, shapes how you craft for performance. And you wouldn't get in your car without a destination. If you did, probably no telling where you'd end up. So why would you invest without a clear destination for your investment portfolio? So joining me is our anonymous investor. And we just want to start off uh, just a couple of questions in terms of shaping your real estate portfolio. What are your thoughts on today's market? Really great points. Great intro. So this is unprecedented times I'm seeing with the real estate market specifically. And I know even coming off of the heels of the Great Recession and some of the all-time low prices, it's hyperinflation going on right now. Prices are extremely high while interest rates are extremely low, which I mean, they're supposed to coincide that way, so to speak. So that makes sense. But just the exclusivity of pricing and just how expensive it is to purchase a home is really, it's hard to watch and it's hard to see for a regular person just either want to purchase their first home or starter home or like a secondary home when they have a family or even like a newbie investor just trying to close on that first investment property. It's super competitive and we're starting to see a lot of investment companies come into certain markets. And I know we were reading an article like a week or two ago about how in certain communities, maybe 20 or 30% of all properties are going towards like investors. So it's really starting to be like the wild, wild west right now. So I'm curious to see what the Fed will do, what economists will say about where real estate is going in the next few years. But I'll flip it back to you. Like what what do you feel and what, what are you seeing out there? Yeah. So in general, I just feel today's real estate market's probably overheated. There's mechanisms driving the market now that probably aren't present if we had traditional interest rates. That said, there's some new products, some new players that are fueling today's activity. Uh, and we can probably expect some reasonable correction in prices in the near future. But overall, I'm feeling today's market is overbought. With that said, I mean, what are your views on housing in general? I mean, do you feel like we're going to need more moving forward or we need less? Yeah. I mean, as population continues to increase, like people are going to need to live somewhere. So I'm bullish on real estate as a whole, but I know the next several years is going to get really choppy and really bumpy out there. That's just what I personally believe. But if I had to say what I anticipate going on in the next few years or so in terms of real estate, I think we're going to see the proliferation of, you know, the gig economy, the shared economy. Like saw an article that says the Airbnb CEO is going to live in all Airbnb properties. We may see more of that and mainly due to just housing being unaffordable for like the average person. So 
it's really difficult again out there. I know I just said that, but it's getting harder to close deals. But me, myself, I'm still investing in single family homes, multifamily properties. But for an average investor, I mean, I would just recommend that they do their their research to the best of their ability. They run the numbers and run the numbers again to make sure that it makes financial sense. You don't want to lose your shirt. I say that every episode. You don't want to lose your shirt on a deal. And if you have to overpay to get in a deal, depending on how much you overpay, you could potentially lose your shirt. So you have to be well aware of your risk and you have to be able to have enough cash and protection with other investments to where if you end up actually overpaying on a deal, you don't lose your shirt. Understood. want to touch on that a little bit too. I know you probably saw the Brookings report that came out earlier in the year that said that U.S. population numbers flatline and we're all due like 0.01%. And so not entirely sure if that's a barometer for moving forward, but it could possibly be an aberration and things return to normal. Right now, I feel maybe not, right? Because the cost of living is going up so much. I don't think that really bodes well for population numbers. Now, it could either go out in one of two ways, right? It could either be like everyone starts saying, well, it's more expensive to have kids. Let's draw back on the family. Or they could see it as, hey, we're going to need some help moving forward. Let's start growing the family so we can get back to relying on each other as opposed to having to go out and pay for these services. I think maybe more the former than the latter, just because of how culture has moved forward. There is a rise, I think, in narcissism, which is another topic, but I think that people are more inward focused instead of outward focused and taking care of each other. And as such, they'll be self-preservation. And so I think that bodes to population numbers maybe going the other way and start declining. So what effect that has on housing, we probably end up meeting a little bit less than what we have today, right? And so that brings me to saying, what are some other problems that you're seeing in the housing market today? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And thank you for being the counterparty on that because I haven't actually seen the article, but that that's really interesting. And I would say some of that may be due to, and I know we're focusing on real estate, so I want to stay on topic, but some of that population may with the families and like the decrease in the number of families and the size of a family is also like expensive student debt, uh, student loan debt. So if that gets solved and millennials kind of got wiped out with the student loan debt issue, maybe the next generation, they'll be able to figure it out and they won't be burdened by it. And we'll see population, the population increase. People are not delaying, delaying, delaying to have families. We'll see. But I mean, it's an interesting take. So only time will tell. But to focus on your question, one, like you said, population, how does that impact the market? Two, we always have to be mindful of regulation. Due to COVID, like the pandemic has changed things a lot. People need some type of assistance with paying their rent. Landlords need assistance as well. So landlords are, we're starting to see them, if they are getting the tenant to pay, they're also like increasing rent because the rents are going up right now. So the regulatory impact could be there's legislation to put a cap on how much you can increase your rent every year. Like 
I'm just making up a number here, but let's say it's 3% or 4%. Well, and that's probably in line with what generally happens. But, you know, if you had an opportunity to increase your rents 10% or 15%, not saying you should, but if you could, like some capitalist real estate investor would be encouraged to do that because they could, like the market allows it type thing. So what's the potential fallout there? I mean, we may get people shying away, like, I would say larger investors, not necessarily like mom, pa, or one to two property type of investors, but you know, someone that's a little bit more sophisticated, the returns may not look as interesting and they may seek to put their money in some other investment vehicle. But I'll flip it to you. I mean, regulation is just one. Change in population too. Like we haven't even talked about like consumer tastes and preferences changing, but well, what do you think? Yeah, so I think some other problems in today's housing market are kind of threefold, right? These are the mean ones that I see is supply chain, your workers, and also the competition for housing. Now, touching on the competition for housing, the market really return on traditionally safe investments is depressed right now. And so you're just seeing a lot of people move up on the risk curve. Banks are basically paying you zero to keep deposits at on hand. And so people, they don't want your money. So with limits on FDIC insurance, what are you going to do? You're going to take your money and find somewhere else to put it. And so people are going out and buying houses as places to store money as a safe haven for their assets. And I've even seen stories where like the Chinese, not only are they buying houses, but they're buying instead of like a traditional pillar inside of the home, they'll buy a pillar of gold and put it in the house as additional way to kind of store value. And so this is what people are up against. So as far as what's being a doing to address that, I don't think anything really with the market will be addressed until the Fed starts raising rates and we start getting some return on investments, which is slated to happen depending on what happens here with the Russia-Ukraine situation and some other activities that are going on in the economy right now. The supply chain issues are starting to quell a little bit. You're seeing things open up now with the inflation and the way prices are causing things to go up. I mean, you probably saw the nickel price, the London LME got shut down yesterday because the price went up to $100,000. I mean, if you start seeing things like that, then I don't know, it starts going the wrong way. But the worker situation, that's also something that technology is trying to start addressing with the printer, 3D printing houses, also some more automation issues instead of automation solutions. For housing. So right now it's a tenuous situation that is looking to subside, but I don't see it subsiding anytime soon. Right. And so with that, I mean, as an investor, you're in these markets, you're trying to get deals done. How are you going about getting access to capital? I mean, are you finding funding hard to get right now? Or what? For me personally, no, it's not hard at the moment, but I could see how it is difficult for someone to get a deal done. So right now, I mean, the banks are still willing to lend. It's not the old days where, you know, if you had a pulse, you could just get a loan back in, you know, 07 before the crash. But banks are doing their due diligence. They're doing their underwriting. They are checking FICO. They are checking like the income. But if you check all of the boxes, you should be able to have Financing, if you're doing like more of like traditional 
purchases in terms of real estate, like a single family home or apartment complex, what have you. It gets a little bit difficult when you're looking at a deal that may be a little more unorthodox in nature or property may, that may not fit the typical mold. Also, if you don't have your financial house in, house in order, uh, it could potentially be an issue. Now, to your point, which I think where you're leading to is what's the shakeout with financing, specifically bank financing, if things go south with the real estate market. And it will be incredibly difficult to get a deal done. We've seen that. We're just really starting to see them open up the floodgates in the past, what, five to seven years, maybe. But before that, you know, it was just really hard to get a deal done. So it really is predicated on what do we believe will happen in the market? And if everything is status quo and it stays the same, you should be able to get financing. And if things start to go south, they're going to tighten up their guidelines and really focus on lending to the best like clientele or like prime customers and get prime rates. Okay. Okay. Understood. Now switching gears a little bit. I mean, once you've gotten your capital from these lenders or from these financing sources, how do you think real estate will be sold? Like how will you be finding your deals, you know, in the future, in the next five years? Will that still continue to be how we're doing it today through a broker? Do you think companies will be selling directly a little bit more? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's going to continue to be a squeeze on like brokers, uh, real estate agents, brokerages. Again, that the ease and advancement of technology, they're making everything so easy. Like we see continuing to see these real estate aggregator sites try to figure out how they can get those commissions and just put everything online, click of a button, you can sell or buy a property. And we may touch on it in another pod, but like Zillow, they tried their hat at doing some type of investing and they were trying to, so to speak, cut out the intermediary with the real estate purchases and it's not easy. But what I would say in terms of if, if I was a real estate agent, if I've been in the business and I've built up a, a pretty good book of business, like a long list of clients, then I would feel pretty insulated. But if I'm a newbie and I don't have a client list just yet, that would definitely be something that would I would be mindful of that could potentially impact my business. So I think what will happen in the next five to seven years in terms of like agents and brokers, I think the ones who are innovative, the ones who are creative, the ones who have books of business are going to remain and they're going to continue to figure out a way to make money and survive. And the ones that are just starting out, the ones that don't have like a loyal client base, they're going to have some type of challenge, I believe. Understood. So they'll be challenged to continue their brokerage firm, continue growing because they don't have a traditional pipeline of buyers because these buyers have on moved on to other ways of getting their deals done. That's and right. that could be a precarious situation. So what do you think is the shakeout from all of that, right? So if buyers are doing deals directly, do houses get sold a lot faster? Does that move prices any? How does that impact you as a real estate investor? Oh, I love that. I love that. So you you just got my mind to spending, right? So if we're allowing the algorithms and the internet to buy and sell everything, then it could be, and I would love to hear your take on it, but it could be a situation where there's a lot of miss 
pricing. Like it's not, I mean, it's still a human element to it, even though it's online, but I believe real estate to be a very specialized local product. Like you can do all the due diligence from afar. I mean, I've purchased properties miles and miles away that I've only seen in person once. So it's clearly being done, but I think if everyone is just continuing to just buy and sell online, like quickly kind of just passes hands and people kind of let their guard down, so to speak. And again, like I've said this two times already, but we saw what that happened with them just packaging and selling the mortgages and kind of kicking a can down the road and how that can be a slippery slope. So that could be potential shakeout of, it might be a lot of mis pricing. It could be some arbitrage opportunities, or it could be overvaluation or undervaluation of properties. Like, I mean, that's just something I'm thinking off the cuff, but what do you think the potential shakeout could be? Yeah. So I think the shakeout for that, you end up with a fractured set of marketplaces, right? So if you have like a Zillow and then Realpha, and then maybe another financial tech player that's selling and buying homes. While it does bring some transparency, it also puts a lot of control into these players' hands. And so they, although there's a lot of transparency in the real estate prices where you can go on and see where someone purchased the price last and what the comps are and how fast homes are moving and crime data and all of that. If you're going through a set of controlled buyers, there could be some issues with that I see in terms of getting access for you if you're not one of their favored buyers or maybe someone has. Kind of maybe with the realtor relationship, you have that too, where you have a guest list of prime VIP buyers that you show them deals first, they get access to it, and then you release their others to the public. I don't think maybe it would be so of a big deal with Zillow just because they're such a big player. Maybe it'd be something on the employee level if they were to do that, but there still poses a risk to do that. So that's just something that you'd have to see how that would shake out, how that would play out. But overall, I don't think that it would be bad overall for us as consumers trying to get into the market and buy your first purchase of homes. However, you, you've still got a, this auction type marketplace going on where someone from across the country, sight unseen, can see it and they know where to go on these three players. And they've got bots built to kind of bid on things when they come to the house, kind of like the sneakers app, right? When you're trying to get that yep. fresh drop that comes out, you don't have or like, a Or to like get concert it. tickets, right? Like we right, see the same right. thing. The bots come in and buy everything up. Yeah, that's a good point. So if that becomes the norm, then... Yeah, it would be problematic, but we'll have to sit back and see what they come up with for that. But for now, I don't think, I think it's a good thing. I think the broker model where you have to go see a realtor and allow them to show you the property and allow them to use their relationships. There's some good in that, but there's also a lot of bad for it. Because if you come into an area and you don't know anybody you're getting a referral for a broker or you're trusting a broker because they've been referred by your lender. It sets you up for some things that you necessarily may not be good for you as the buyer. So now if I own property today, 
what should I be doing with that? Now, should I be holding that? Should I be looking to, you know, sell because prices are so high? What are your, what's your take on it as an investor right now? What are you looking? Yeah. What I'm personally doing with my real estate portfolio, I'm still in the acquisition phase. So I'm still trying to buy as many and hold on to them, but that's just my overall strategy. But a lot of people that I I have friends that are real estate investors, and if you have a decent portfolio, I mean, you could sell a couple and then take that, do a exchange with 1031 exchange, and then go and take the proceeds and buy a multifamily, right? And it only makes sense. Could not pay taxes, put the money down, and then I get more doors, get more units. So that's just one particular strategy that you could do. Um, but it just it really depends on what what your intentions are with the cash. I mean, that's what I would do personally. I would just take the money and just keep reing up until I can get more and more doors because real estate investing, I mean, it's two ways. It's appreciation and it's cash flow, right? So some people invest for the appreciation, which is perfectly fine. But the people that I see that are saying like, hey, I don't have to work or financially free, financially independent, they're investing in real estate for the cash flow. And you're going to get that cash flow by just acquiring more doors. So just really depends on what the person's strategy is. You know, if they have a couple of properties, then you can take it and just buy something else or potentially buy more doors, depending on like where you are and what what the pricing is. Like it's all a localized market, but that's what I would recommend if someone came to my to my door and said, "Hey, like I'm I'm already investing in real estate. This is I have some some money. If I sell it, this is how much I'm looking at. What should I do with it? That's the type of advice I would provide." Okay. And so, what type of time horizon are we talking about here? Are they buying the house and holding these homes till they die to pass on? Are they buying the homes and they're going to dispose of them in a couple of years? What type of time frame are we looking at for this? Yeah. So that is all dependent upon when you've purchased it, how long you've had it, like has it reached, I guess, the return metric that you're looking for. I would say that I would allow that to determine when I actually sold it. I mean, some people do hold real estate forever. Like Warren Buffett says, you know, he buys a stock and he expects to hold on to it forever type thing. Um, real estate naturally is a little bit different because you have depreciation, you have to reinvest in it. So, well, you can take that approach, but generally you don't hold it forever, right? But you could. But with the return metrics, I would look at a time frame of pretty much what we're saying in this point of more returns pod. Like our time horizon on most things that we talk about are usually short to intermediate. So anywhere between five to seven, sometimes we'll go shorter in three years. Sometimes we'll go longer than 10, but that sweet spot of five to seven years. And you'll usually see a couple of economic cycles in that five to seven years. You may get, you know, some years with higher inflation, lower inflation, but usually get to to see a full life cycle recession and like an economic boom like the full economic cycle in that time frame. Okay. So let's talk about returns a little bit more. So historically I can expect 7% from the market if I invest in the S&P 500. What type of returns can I expect from my real estate holdings? If I'm to buy 
what you're suggesting, a single family home and hold it for a few years, typically year over year, what are we looking at? Oh, wow. Okay. So (laughs) I'm just speaking in general numbers here. What I've seen traditionally, if you're holding a property, you can get appreciation anywhere between two to 4%. So let's just say 3%. So 3% appreciation a year on top of- Is that cash or is that appreciation for price? That's only appreciation for price. So you'll see growth in what you believe the market value is, which I get what you're saying. It's almost like paper returns, right? It's not real money until you sell it. So you're getting, and I've seen a lot of people value their real estate based on what they, that baked in appreciation, like what they believe that appreciation to be. And again, I, I look at it kind of the same way as this paper games, like, okay, I bought a stock at 100, now it's at 150, but I haven't sold it. So technically it's at sell it for 150, but I haven't. So I include it in the value, but haven't like touched it. I haven't sold it yet. So it's, I look at the appreciation that way from that perspective, that's a really great call out. And in addition to that, you're looking at anywhere and that just really depends on what the cap rate is for your property. But I mean, a good cap rate generally is around seven to 10% because, and really more, but I think those are going to be, the higher cap rates are going to be more and more difficult if we're talking about a single family home or a multi, like a duplex, triplex, like you'll potentially see higher cap rates with like eight unit, like apartment complexes. But for those anywhere between, I say seven to 10% and anything on top of that is just great. Like you're, you're really winning out there if you're getting more than seven to 10% cap rate. So, you know, seven to 10 plus another 3% a year. I mean, you look up five to seven years, that's pretty good return when you get ready to sell the property, if that's what you're choosing to do. Okay. And I want to dig into that just a little bit more. Okay. So I, you look at 2021 housing returned 16.9% for you, which is, you know, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing you got to take into account though, is that if you invested in an index fund at S&P 500, uh, that returned 26.89%, right? So that's almost, that's a 10% better return yep. than housing from just doing dollar cost averaging, sitting on your couch. Now, on top of that, you know, you've got to take into account inflation, which was 7% last year, if you're depending upon what source you're looking at, right? So that basically brings your housing return down to 10% and your S&P return return back to 16.89%, right? So as an investor, right, we're looking at point of more returns and I want to sit back and say, hey, I've got additional capital. Why would I want to move that into housing? instead of just putting the additional into the S&P 500, what else would probably entice me? I'm operating under the premise that you're already investing in the S&P 500. So the boilerplate uh, cliche is diversify, right? Like diversification. So I'm operating under the premise that we all already know to invest in the index, like the S&P 500, for example. And that's just the a recommendation I would give. Like if you already have your 401k or your retirement accounts like maxed out, you're already getting all the match that you possibly can. Or if you have like a traditional IRA or a Roth or something like that, you're already kind of doing that type of investing. So you may want to look to put any additional 
like discretionary funds elsewhere. And the next thing I probably would say outside of the stock market would be real estate. So, I mean, I'll let you say, because I know you don't necessarily like investing in real property. You prefer to just put the money in the fund and let them do the hard work. So I'll let you kind of speak on that. But that's what I would recommend. I mean, that by itself, just the the ability to diversify your portfolio. Yep. So another another benefit that we didn't touch on was the fact that when you have uh, real estate as an investment and you have a tenant in place, you're able to purchase the property with not all of the money up front. Like you're not paying cash. So you get a portion of cash that you're putting up front that serves as the equity. And then you're able to obtain the property with the remaining portion being debt. But once you have that tenant in place, the tenant is paying the rent, which you take, and then you pay um, the mortgage every month. So you get that benefit of having an asset and you're reducing your um, your liability, meaning your debt, like your mortgage is going to continue to be paid down as your tenant makes those payments every month. So that's a really key wealth building piece in terms of having a real estate portfolio and you have a tenant in place and they continue to make those monthly payments. And every month they make a payment, you get more equity because you're reducing your debt liability. So just a key point that we want to make and emphasize um, that people may or may not think about when purchasing real estate. Understood. I would look at it more as structuring an entire portfolio in general, right? So this is point of more returns and we're just doing a real estate. We'll be talking about other asset classes moving forward. But in order to get into some of those other asset classes or to get financing or to just have collateral in general, you're going to need some type of asset to pledge, right? And so that's where housing stock can come into, depending upon the lender. I've had heard stories where people have gone to certain lenders and asked for loans, and they've been told that they had to dispose of their real estate because of the loans against it, that they saw that infavorably against a rate. These have been black applicants, so there could be some of that at play. But in general, if you're speaking to a competent banker, financial professional, they should tally up your net worth. And part of that will be the equity inside of your real estate which you can in turn, as long as there's not a lien and you own a property outright, you can pledge that on your balance sheet to get collateral for other loans to finance things. I think from my standpoint, as a point of more returns and we're structuring a portfolio, you've got to take into how you're going to set this thing up in its entirety. And I'm of the belief that we should be trying to build cash and not just appreciation because as you know, you need cash to pay bills, you need cash to spend. So we're going to be talking about that as we get into other episodes in terms of buying businesses, why it's important to look at the cash flow statements and why it's important to have your cash flow and not just be looking for appreciation in these assets. But that's just something to take in consideration that you know, if you're looking to get a return, again, you want to speak with a competent financial professional, see what your personal goals are. If you're looking to juice your returns and just grow your portfolio, and get to retirement a lot faster than probably staying in stocks might be the way to do that, other opposed to going straight into real estate 
and trying to get your appreciation there at 3.7% historically versus almost 10% in stocks historically, right? But overall, for cash to live your lifestyle, once you want to have a certain lifestyle, then real estate's going to be a crucial part of that. And so that's something that you may want to look at. But based on what we're discussing today, it's just how do you structure that, setting up a thesis for that, which brings me to my next topic. I mean, what do you think is going to be impacting from a regulatory standpoint from real estate now? Do you think there's going to be some legislation that could cause some changes? Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So we we touched on that a little bit earlier in terms of what could potentially happen. Now that's in an environment where like the pandemic continues to just impact people in the worst way. Like they're not able to, to make their rent payments or their mortgage payments. Right. And there have been some guardrails put in place for banks and like mortgage companies, like loss, loss mit, what they call loss mitigation, because there was a time when the bank was incentivized to just take your property. So, you know, during the Obama administration, some uh, rules were set in place to make these mortgage companies and banks remedy the situation to try to keep homeowners in their properties and try to max out all possibilities before, you know, foreclosing on the property. So it could be more legislation or regulatory items that are done to try to keep people in their homes. Like it could be more, more rulings on, on that. It could be uh, more legislation for people that are on hard times or experiencing hardships that are paying rent which may not necessarily be advantageous for a landlord. But even, even in that, that's something that I've, I haven't seen before where it's like they're giving out landlord assistance like during this pandemic. So that's on one end, that's kind of like the white knight, like saving people from financial ruin. But on the flip side, you know, if there continues to be rising rents and rising like home prices, maybe potentially we could see caps on that. I don't know. I mean, stranger things have happened. So I won't 100% rule it out, but I don't know how likely it is, but there have been rumblings about that in the the real estate investment community. Okay. Understood. One thing that worries me is the tax base. Historically, population and job growth drive taxes, right? As that starts to shift, as population starts to shrink, and people start to move in areas, the government is still going to need ways to get revenue. And I think that becomes from real estate owners, right? You're starting to see some quell and some complaints from from taxpayers and from the public about housing prices and about rents being unaffordable. And there's starting to be some push for Biden to have to do something. I was driving down the highway the other day, and I saw a billboard where they were trying to gather petitions for people to clamor about rising rents. And so as you start seeing more of that public pressure, I think the government will have to move to do something. And to do that, I think it starts going after taxes from real estate investors. You start to see some of that with the Trump administration. If you're looking at your taxes today, for those who've already filed or starting to file or getting things together, probably notice that you know, those deductions that you have as a homeowner credit have gotten smaller. And the reason for that is they wanted to get some taxes, right? And so that's one of the biggest 
targets that you can try to aim and hit. You can't take the house. You can't move it. The house is there on the land. You can probably knock it down, but you can't take that land and move it anywhere. So someone's going to own that parcel of land. They can't dive. Maybe you can hide it in some different structures, set up a Cayman Island LLC and then have that lending it out or have some arcane structure that takes them a while to figure it out. But all in all, I think they'll just find a way to simplify it and have someone responsible for it. And they're going to find a way to get that money. And that will in turn force people to maybe sell. And that will start putting some of the pressure on housing prices as well. But all in all, I just see that in the future, maybe not today, may not happen this year, but in the future, just something to pay attention to as you craft your portfolio, what's going to happen with that and something to have a conversation with the CPA about. Now, with that said, I mean, if I want to structure you know, an ideal real estate portfolio today, are you just primarily, you know, you're doing some tax lien. I know you've been talking about doing commercial. Um, what does that mix look like? I mean, is it just all real estate moving forward? Do you feel someone should move into commercial properties right away? How does that portfolio look? We're starting from zero today. What is the portfolio to weather the next five years? Yep. So I think there are some potential risks with certain parts of commercial. And I know we we talked about that outside of the pod before, but commercial, retail commercial is really, I don't know what that's going to look like in the next several years, right? Like um, people buying online, retailers are getting squeezed right now. Like malls aren't what they once were. We don't know what the new lifeline of malls is going to look like. So there are certain areas in in real estate that I, I am not like interested in. I'm not trying to put any type of money into my spaces. I just believe people are going to continue to need somewhere to live. Um, and that's like the most basic. It's one of the oldest businesses like you need or you need a home to live in or some type of roof over your head. So that's how I've been structuring like my real estate portion of my overall investment portfolios, you know, some single family, some small multifamily. And then I intend on like building out like the residential commercial. So apartment buildings, so to speak, that's what I would advise someone. But I mean, you know, that's not the only way. That's not the only approach. It's just what I've spent the most time researching. It's been the most time that an effort that I've put towards investing. But I mean, there's a myriad of ways that you can invest in real estate. It's just, I mean, some people are not going to tangent, but I've seen, we can kind of talk about it in another pod where people aren't owning anything, right? They're getting leases and then they're subleasing it and they're doing Airbnbs. So it's kind of like a rental arbitrage, so to speak. That's really interesting to me. I haven't actually done one of those deals yet, but I mean, you could have a, a sublease portfolio that is all on Airbnbs and you own nothing. I mean, that's new. Like I haven't, that that wasn't in the marketplace 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that didn't exist. So we'll continue to see like innovations within real estate as like technology advances, as people continue to ideate and come up with new and creative ways to, to make money. Okay. Great summation of that. And so as we wrap up the show, just wanted to see if you had any parting thoughts and also just to summarize what we discussed this far in setting up your thesis. 
Yeah, absolutely. So real estate is one of the, the industries that we're following closely. We're going to continue to dive into real estate and share like our experiences with this particular asset class. There are a lot of opportunities and I know like the current climate is really difficult to get a deal done, but there are ways if you continue to do your due diligence, continue to do your research, continue to network and continue to learn and absorb information. Okay, man, those were some good points you made there. So in summation, as we wrap up the episode, I mean, as you give parting thoughts, kind of summarize, you know, what we discussed today and how you want to outline your thesis for real estate. Yeah. So um, as we've mentioned, like real estate is one of the industries that we're going to be following closely and we're going to continue to dive in a lot more with the shows going forward. And the overall thesis, like we've covered the time horizon of what we think is going to happen in the next three to five years, like an intermediate time horizon. We've also covered like some of the things that you need to be mindful for. Like you definitely want to do your due diligence. You want to get an idea of the general rule of thumbs to track your financials and you want to get your financial house in order to make sure that you won't have any issues when it comes to like underwriting and trying to get the, the financing, however it is that you decide to try to finance the properties. We know these are unprecedented times that are going on in the market currently, but you know, as long as you stay scrappy and creative, there are ways to get deals done. And these, again, these are just opinions of ours and not anyone else's. And before you do anything, please seek financial advice from a licensed professional. Again, these are just our ideas, but we definitely appreciate you all tuning into the show and we're signing off. This is Point of More Returns.